Welcome back to Beyond the Bar podcast. I'm your host, Denise Tova, and it is an honor, true honor today to welcome Judge Gail Prudenti. She is a true giant in the legal world. From a former chief administrative judge of the state of New York, dean of Hofstra Law School to private mediation practice. I mean, she's lived it. Uh, she has such a distinguished career. And she has so many interesting layers to her. And so today we get to dive into her journey that took her literally from an aspiring lawyer at five years old to a trailblazer in the legal field and academia. Welcome, Judge Prudenti. Oh, thank you so much, Denisa. And thank you for the kind words. I very much appreciate it. I'm very happy to speak with you today. Thank you so much for being here with us. And so if I may, let's go back uh, in time machine to when you were five years old. What did five-year-old Gail experienced that led her to a career in the legal field and more importantly, eventually uh, to becoming a judge? Well, uh, honestly, I remember the day as if it was yesterday and it was many, many decades ago, more than I like to admit. But I was at a closing with my father. My father was a general contractor and builder, mostly in East Hampton Township of second homes for individuals and families from New York City. And I remember going to a closing with him. And at the closing, it became obvious to me that my father was the only one who was speaking for himself and everyone else had attorneys who looked very, very different than the other individuals at the table. And I remember, you know, he was doing his figures and, you know, himself and all the other attorneys were doing them for their clients. And I remember trying to get his attention and he was trying to make his precocious five-year-old be quiet. And then finally he looked at me and he said, yes, sis, because that's my nickname in my family. Yes, sis, what is it? And I said, dad, someday I'm going to be your lawyer. And I'll never forget it. And I'll never forget going to lunch with him afterward. And I'll never forget him saying, I think that's a great idea. And that you could be anything that you want to be. Wow. And that stuck with you. And it did not stop there. It really didn't. It really didn't all. I knew on my during my educational experiences, there was a never a different path that I thought of taking. That is amazing to have such a sharp focus uh, from such an earlier age. Um, and, and I mean, your dad really must have had uh, an incredible impact. Um, so, so tell us, what, so what eventually led you to, to uh, the, the judgeship? Uh, because that, that is not something that many people that I interviewed did not, you know, intend to do. Some of them landed there, but that was sort of not the the main destination. So what was your journey like? Well, I think my journey really was, I was always, both my parents were education was the key to success. And they were both, especially my mom, uh, demanding of uh, my grades and, and going to school. 
And so when I became um, a lawyer, you know, my first job was in the Suffolk County Surrogates Court. And I was an entry level clerk. I wasn't even a lawyer there. I took in papers. And um, I remember, and I think many people who have worked for judges feel this way. I remember having great admiration for my judge. My judge was a taskmaster, Judge Signorelli, God rest his soul. And, but he taught me that you always had to be well prepared. You had to be the best you could be. But I think once you work inside the court system and once you work for a judge, it's a goal that many people have. And um, that's really what happened with me. I, my goal was to be the surrogate of Suffolk County after my first job in the Suffolk County Surrogates Court. And that didn't stop you either from continuing on this path. Um, so you became a lot a of the rest of my path was serendipity and good mentors and good friends and and people who believed in me probably at different times more than I believed in myself. That is incredible. You strike me as a doer. Well, I have to tell you, I think one of the reasons why I've been successful in uh, court administration and it was because you know, it's wonderful to have great ideas. And a lot of people have great ideas and say the court should do this or the court system should do that or whatever. I think one of the gifts that I was given was that um, not only can I come up with ideas, I can implement them. And that has served me very well. So I can take a look at a problem where it exists in a court's in a court that's you know backlogged, or I can take a look at a problem, especially when I worked for Chief Judge Littman, or a, a situation that he wanted to get involved in, and uh, he wanted to to see if it could make the courts better, and we could come up and and try to get it done. And what it's all about is getting it done, whether it's for your client with a case, you know, or whether it's and an office being an administrator, or whether it's in a courtroom having uh, you know, a caseload, it's all about getting things done in a timely fashion and remembering that um, it doesn't come easy. It is all hard work each and every day. You're my kind of woman getting stuff <laughs> done. You know, I, <laughs> I shared with you. I really and I and I truly mean that I shared with you I think that I that I am a first first generation immigrant and and mm -hmm. one of the things that I that I brought here with me is just this need to cut through any sort of a red tape and and efficiency and just getting stuff done one of my pet peeves is meeting about a meeting about a meeting and so I was really inspired and and so impressed with your, how your journey unfolded it almost struck me as Okay, so I completed it here. I did all I could, improved all I could, and then I'm moving on to the to the next one. Uh, so you didn't stop there. You became a dean of Hofstra Law School, and that was something I had never ever thought would have been in my career path. I had been asked on many occasions. I'm a trust and estate lawyer uh, by profession, and I've been asked on many occasions to teach, you know, at St. John's or you know, to teach at Fordham or, you know, just teach the, uh, like as, as an adjunct in, in uh, trust and estates. And I always said no, because what I have found is 
my plate is always full. And if I have, if, if I think back, one thing I have learned is that, you know, you can't do too many things at one time where you get overwhelmed, or at least I do. So I never took up that opportunity. But what I did do when I was a chief administrative judge, there came a time when um, Jonathan Lippman, the chief administrative judge at the time, had aged out and the governor was looking uh, for a new chief judge. And there is a commission that you have to go through. And the commission gives the governor seven names that are highly qualified to be chief judge. And I was one of them, but it wasn't my turn. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't meant to be for many reasons, which I can appreciate. And so when Janet Fiore became the chief judge, uh, she was very kind to me. She wanted me to stay in the system. I could have gone back to my Supreme Court position. I could have had another job maybe in the administration. But um, I knew it was time. I, I had accomplished, as you correctly said, everything that I could accomplish at the time in the New York State court system. So I thought I would be an excellent executive director of a non-for-profit. And that's where I really wanted to go. I was at that time in my life. And so I've been applying and got very close to, to attaining that goal when all of a sudden I received a phone call one day and it was from the president of Hofstra at the time, Stuart Rabinowitz. He didn't know me and I didn't know him. And we set up a lunch with his chief deputy himself and myself. And he told me that the dean, uh, Dean Eric Lane, was going, wanted to go back to teaching and wanted to go back to being a full-time professor. And that there was going to be a vacancy for the dean of Hofstra and that he had been looking for, for candidates at different candidates for quite a while. And he said that every time he turned around that someone said, from, especially from the court system, he told me that um, the Chief Judge Lippman and uh, former Chief Judge Kay had both at different times mentioned, why don't you talk to Gail Pernanti? She can get it done for you. <laughs> And he called me and he, we had lunch and I said I wasn't so sure how academics would accept me or how happy I would be there. So for about a year and a half, I was the executive director and stayed the executive director of the Center for Children and Families in the Law. I loved it. And then there came a time that Dean Lane wanted to go back full-time teaching. I was the interim dean. The, then they went on the search for a dean, and then I was appointed the 10th dean of Hofstra Law School. What have you learned about yourself in that role, you think? I think what I've learned about myself in that role is that I really, really enjoyed uh, getting the next generation of attorneys ready for private practice. I learned because of that, I learned how important it was to me uh, and how much I had really enjoyed private practice and I had enjoyed the courtroom and the court system. And to me, what the law school was all about was making sure that my students had the qualifications of academic success to pass the, the bar examination and to fulfill their dreams and get 
good entry-level jobs and start their journeys on uh, being attorneys in, in, the, in New York State, most of them. Mm. So I love the students. That's what I found out about myself. And yeah. I yeah. and I admired I admired many people who dedicated their lives to academia. I don't think I could have done just one thing my entire career. Um, that's not what I'm like. Uh, I think, as you clearly stated, I'm one of those people who is given a task, does it as well as she can, and uh, looks looks for her her next place on her journey. My family used to tease me that I worked it. You know, I never held a job more than five years, but that's not really true. <laughs> With an impact. I mean, <laughs> you know, yes, you, you leave an imprint wherever you go. Now, Judge, imagine if um, law was not an option. What alternate career path, what alternate career path do you think you would have pursued? I think I would have uh, pursued a path in real estate, in both development and in both architecture and design. I have a great interest in it and I love it. And it's probably from going to work with my father. My father works seven days a week. So if you wanted to see him, you went to work with him. And I went to work with him a lot, especially on weekends to East Hampton and South Hampton. And I really enjoy West Hampton. My parents had a condominium in the later years in West Hampton. And I totally enjoyed that. I enjoyed, they let me decorate it for them. And I love doing that. And I think if it would have been a different time, I probably would have taken over my father's business and maybe taken it in a different, a little bit of a different direction. Uh, but I think that would have been, that, that's my secondary career path. And to prove it, uh, my husband and I have been married 44 years and I think we're on our ninth house. I have renovated, yeah. I have built new, I have uh, born in uh, Florida and uh, I, I just really enjoy it. That's my happy place. Can you recall a moment in your career that was particularly humorous or lighthearted? You know, something that still brings a smile to your face? No, but I honestly, because, you know, the practice of law and the court system, things are very, very serious. But I can remember something that had a great impact on me. And it was during the first three years when I was in the matrimonial parts. But my first election was the Supreme Court, and I was assigned to the matrimonial parts and handled divorce and custody matters. And I remember a little girl, about 13 years old, who I had an in-camera with, meaning that it's just a little girl myself. I always brought in my secretary and a court reporter. And I said, you know, your mom says you want to live with her. And your dad says you want to live with him and that you told both of them something. You told both of them that that is what you wanted. And she looked at me and she said, judge, you know, you've been through it. Yeah, sometimes you just have to tell them what they want to hear. And I have to tell you, it had a great impact on me because number one, it reminds you of your childhood and what you what you live with, but how smart children are, how much guidance and love they need, and the fact that um, we all we all should tre 
cherish our children and the children in the world. So she had a great effect on me. I, I would say that the case itself was the usual case of relocation. Mom wanted to relocate, but the child herself had a great effect on me. And from that day forward, I carefully listened, whether it be to children, whether it be to my colleagues, whether it be to my family. Hmm. What an impactful story. You're right. Kids are uh, very honest, very honest. Um, and listening to them, that, that is, oh my goodness, that is so, so, so important. Um, so switching gears a little bit, um, your favorite guilty pleasures, because we all have them. What, what's yours? Uh, is it a certain type of music? Is it a TV show? Favorite comfort food? What, oh, what is okay. Well, I'm a pasta lover. I'm a wine lover, okay? Um, there's nothing better than a, than a couple glasses that I try to stick to that of, of, a, of a wonderful wine with, with a pasta dish, which I try to limit myself to, to once a week. Um, and uh, I really, uh, I, I love reading on vacation and, you know, and I find myself too hyper to read while I'm working, you know, that my mind is always going. My father used to call it the engine that never shuts off, okay? Uh, always thinking and working, but when I'm away, I really enjoy uh, going to beautiful places and traveling. My husband and I have been very lucky. We've traveled many places in the world and, and have found places we love now in Europe that, that at this stage of our lives, we just keep going back to. Um, I'm a Pilates lover. I love going to Pilates. Uh, and I love seeing and spending time with my friends because they make me laugh and they make me feel really, really good. And, and I've had friends, I have really, um, you know, a, a very eclectic group of friends. And uh, we always uh, remind each other. I have friends I've been friends with for 50 years. I have friends that I've been friends with for a year and a half. But uh, enjoyable, nice, enjoyable friends. It makes me laugh. It makes me have a, you know, makes a, makes a pleasant life. Yeah, friends, friends are important, having that support network. Um, how would your husband describe you? I think my husband would describe me as a compassionate, empathetic, caring person who sometimes worries too much. Mm. I worry about everybody, you, you know? <laughs> I don't, that was my question. What do you worry about the most? I worry about people. I worry about everybody. You know, I worry about, you know, the child going through the divorce. I worry about um, my my brother is an environmental engineer, but he does construction management. I worry about him on the job. I worry about my nieces, you know, in their 30s, going through all those experiences in their families and in their lives and how they're doing. You know, uh, I have a brother I'm very, very close to who is a real great businessman in Pennsylvania. And I worry about him that he's uh, taking on too much. I worry about my husband as he gets older and is still working. Um, well, I worry about my friends. You know, I am, I am one of those, I guess I'm one of those people that just always wants to solve problems and I want to solve everybody else's problem as well. That's a lot. That's a lot it that is. you take on. Yeah, yeah. 
You know, I'm, I'm going to ask you this question differently because I've asked practitioners, you know, what is a piece of advice that you would give to incoming attorneys? With you, what, what mistake um, a good do, question. do you see? Yeah, yeah, that, that incoming attorneys make. Um, I think that many, many, many attorneys um, are under so much pressure that they take on too much and they don't take good care of themselves. And they spend too much time, you know, practicing law and not enough time enjoying life. Mm. And I, I have to tell you, I have a very hard time with work-life balance. And I, I'm the first person to admit it. Do you feel that that's, that's, well, would you know what to do with yourself if you have a quote unquote time off or do you think about work constantly? Well, this is what it's like. When I take time off, I have to take at least five to seven days and, and that's seven days probably about right. First couple of days, I have a hard time relaxing, no doubt about mm. it. Uh, but once I'm, once I'm on vacation and once I'm, you know, we're lucky enough uh, to have a place in Florida, once I get there, it is my happy place and, and I'm very happy. Um, but I really am one of those people who, if I, if I have a long weekend, let's just say it's a long weekend and I don't have a project going or a case going for a client or whatever, um, I'm ready to go back to work on Monday or Tuesday. Yeah. And I'd say I, I, I get it because I'm just like that. And to me, if you love what you do and you had different right. iterations of it, uh, it, it doesn't feel like work. So exactly. I, I get that. Yeah. You know, yeah. there's, you know, I cliches, you know, there's many cliches and I think cliches are great because really there's always a lot of truth in them, you know? But yeah. there, there is one about working, and and I believe it. You know, hard work is its own reward. It has been for me. It really mm -hmm. has been. Oh, yeah. You you know, we we could go on here for a very long time. We'll definitely have you back. This is this has been such a pleasure. Seriously, Judge, your story is a testament to power of passion, resilience. And really shaping a, a meaningful career um and and it is a true through and through career not a job so thank you so much for sharing welcome, your insights and experience you're welcome and i just like to end with one comment you know no one's life is perfect we've all had our tremendous ups and downs in life and sometimes it looks like you know one person oh he or she was so lucky everything worked out for them and they've had these fabulous jobs but believe me, we could have other discussions about, um, you know, great pain that I've gone through. You know, like my, when my parents died together, you know, in within three months of each other, you know, and, and, I, and I know everyone else has had those, you know, traumatic experiences happen as well. So honestly, uh, my motto and the thing that I think is the most important in life, and people would probably not believe it for a lawyer, is just to be kind. Everybody is experiencing, you know, difficult times in their lives. Wow. I am so glad that you mentioned that. I, I do have goosebumps. I, I know about loss personally as well. And, and I 
thank you so much for sharing that, Judge. And, and oh, I think that's also, that's the quality that, that makes you such a supreme mediator and, and being in private practice and just continuing on this path is, is what you just mentioned. So thank you so much for, for the reminder. Thank you. It's been my pleasure um, to speak with you. Absolutely. And and to our audience, to learn more about Judge Prudenti's incredible journey, how to get a hold of her, check out her link to her bio below. And do not forget to subscribe to our Beyond the Bar podcast on YouTube and follow us on all social media channels. Until next time, stay curious and inspired. Thank you.